We have been steadily working through uh, the book of James, and we're on this, thank you, we're on this last chapter now, chapter five, where James is bringing his letter to a close. So a lot of the same things that he introduced in chapter one have the bookend of chapter five to really bring that home. But before we get started on this morning's sermon, let's pray and then we'll read. Uh, then I'll, I'll read our verses again for today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Father, you, you giving us access to the Bible in so many different forms that we're able to read and to study. Lord, we thank you for preserving your word for us. Father, I pray that as we read this letter, 2,000 years old, Father, that it would resonate with your voice. Lord, that we would see the application today of your ancient words. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray that you would be with us to be faithful in the hearing and the doing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, if you will, please turn with me in your Bibles. The best, the best way, one of the best ways that we can participate in the sermon. Guess what? The sermon is participatory. In case you, in case we might need a reminder, right? Please turn with me to James 5. And we're going to talk about 7 through 12 today. If you'll recall last week, we talked about some specific warnings and exhortation to the rich. And they were not addressed necessarily as brothers and sisters. But that's how James is going to begin today. So verse 7 Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you do not fall under judgment. So first question for you this morning, how long are we to be patient, according to James? Forever, until the Lord returns. Until the Lord returns. Um, the coming of the Lord, it says in verse 7. So what, how are we to be patient and what is, what is composed in being patient? This Greek word is present um, in a lot of other scriptures as well. And I tried to pull out the cross references that use this specific word as well, but it means to persevere, to be patient, a long-tempered, refusing to retaliate with anger because of human reasoning. 
showing divinely directed patience. Divinely directed patience. I think I've had to have divinely directed patience a few times, maybe a couple times with my kids, um, especially. Um, but a lot of other situations, right? We have divinely directed patience. Um, only the Lord sometimes can keep us from opening our mouths when we shouldn't on certain circumstances. Other verses and passages that the same word for patience, I wanted to share with you one of them. If you want to turn there is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. This is a, a verse and passage that's read at a lot of weddings, right? To talk about what love actually is. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked, does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You can't read that passage without thinking about Christ. What are the attributes of Christ and why all of those belong to him, right? Patience, kind, not jealous, not arrogant, doesn't seek its own benefit, a self-sacrificing type of love. And among all of these traits, the first one is love is patient. Christ exhibits his patience with us. The Father exhibits his patience with us. He has every right to take me out this morning if he would like to. <laughs> That's right. Um, and he, uh, he would have every right to do that. But he's patient with me. I can only imagine he still has work for me to do and still has sanctifying to do on me and you. And that's the reason that we're here. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. Here's another passage that we see about patience. Paul says, but we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you and are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything. Hold firmly to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul, just like James, is laying out what it's like to be in the body of Christ and who we should be as a part of being in Christ. Be patient with everyone. Yes, this is a family. And yes, sometimes people can get on your nerves. <laughs> I might be one of those that get on your nerves. So be patient with me, please. But as part of, of a family, our patience is to be one of the traits that we have as a body. And as we have 
in the bigger body of Christ. We're patient with other brothers and sisters. Think about all of what the church has seen, what the world has seen, because people lost their patience. People didn't do as Paul and James are instructing that tried to repay evil for evil and split up churches and cause controversies and then put all of these failed pastors, gave them, gave them a spotlight for 15 minutes because of what happened with their ministries. What an awful, terrible thing that we see happening online and in the media when it comes to the church. To the point where even evangelical, which is a beautiful word, has now has a negative connotation in the world's view. It ought not to be. And what Paul and what James are trying to say is that that's not life in, in a biblical body of believers to live in that way. It is instead to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, to be patient with everyone. Don't repay evil for evil, even if someone does do wrong to you. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's his. We're not to go after that. Lastly, Another cross-reference here, um, Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, outlines that patience is not just something that James is admonishing and exhorting us to do, but it's actually a trait of God's. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could not swear an oath by no one greater He swore by himself, saying, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For people swear an oath by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath serving as confirmation is an end to every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to demonstrate to the heirs of the promise the fact that his purpose is unchangeable, confirmed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to hold firmly to the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and reliable and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So patience is a trait of our heavenly father and of our savior, Jesus Christ. And he demonstrates his, his patience towards us in that he has withheld his ultimate wrath so that we may even live in this current era. And he has patiently waited until all of those that are his will be accounted for. So the patience that James is talking about is by exhortation, something that we have to observe in the body And more broadly, we observe when we interact with people who are not in Christ. The comparison that James makes first is of a farmer. And those of us who have been around even a a garden uh, recognize what the farmer must do. He says the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. 
I know there are several people in here who raise their own gardens and a few that raise chickens and pigs and different, different things as well. You have to wait on things to get ready. You know, we can't just throw out seed and then the next day come back and then there's fully formed (laughs) tomatoes and cucumbers that are ready to pick, right? That's not how it works. We wish it did, but that's not how it works. How does it work? So in being patient, patience is a noun and a virtue that James says that we must have. But he also tells us to wait. Waiting is a verb. What I mean by saying that, obviously, Mark, we know English, waiting, yes, is a verb. How profound. What I'm trying to make a point of is waiting is active in this case. Does a farmer plant the seeds, go back in his house and wait for a couple months and then come back out and then everything's ready? What does he got? What does he have to do? He's got to keep the weeds out. He's got to chase crows off. Whatever he's got to do, he's got to fertilize it. He's got to make sure that nothing gets in there. Like here we have all the deer that just come in and eat everything, right? He's got to actively foster and nurture in his waiting, all waiting for that outcome, but it's active. It's an active form of waiting. So the outcome outcome is the cross and the fully completed work. Finally getting to enjoy some corn on the cob, right? Or some beans. If I had a nickel for every being I had ever strung, I would be rich. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, Nickel ain't much, especially today. But um, you get that outcome, right? You get the full outcome of all of that work. You're waiting on that. But in the meantime, what has to happen The growth comes from fostering the plant from seed to maturity. The analogy that James gives to our faith is that while we're waiting, sanctification occurs throughout that process. So sanctification comes from the life of patient, expectant, Active waiting for Christ's return. We expect Christ to come back any day. The first century Christians lived with that expectation, even then, that Christ's return was imminent that it could happen at any time. The day of the Lord is near, James says. So the next part, he says, to strengthen your hearts. How do we strengthen our hearts? Are any of you surgeons? Were any of you army medics? that had a much more brutal way of doing heart surgery. No. How do we strengthen our hearts? Well, let's read scripture about strengthening hearts. Psalm 10, 16 through 18 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will make your ear attentive to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that mankind, which is of the earth, will no longer cause terror. 
So in our first reference here, who is doing the strengthening? Right? The Lord is doing the strengthenings. Uh, the Psalm says you will strengthen their heart. Psalm 31, again, love the Lord, all his godly ones. The Lord watches over the faithful, but fully repays the one who acts arrogantly. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord. So the waiting and the strengthening again go together in Psalm 31. And again, it's the Lord who gives us courage. It's the Lord who strengthens our heart. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16 says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So again, in verse 16, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who will strengthen our hearts. So James' call to strengthen our hearts comes through a dependence on God to strengthen them. The exhortation for us is our trust and dependence and sanctification through the waiting, the expectant waiting on Christ, that God strengthens our hearts through that dependence. Remember James, all the way back in James chapter 1, how he talks about being complete in Christ Jesus, that our joy would be complete. Our joy would be complete through what? Perseverance through trials, right? So as we're given these trials... We're praying for wisdom, another exhortation from James. We're depending on Christ to strengthen us through those trials. And it takes our utter dependence on him. James also reminds his readers and listeners, the day of the Lord is near. And the saints lived and have lived since with that expectation that the day of the Lord is near. Well, it hasn't happened for 2000 years, Mark. How is the day of the Lord near? If they thought it was near in the first century and they still think it's near now. Um, in the timetable of eternity, 2000 years is irrelevant. It's a blink. It's a blink. Think about that. The enormity of eternity. Unfathomably long. And that's how long the Lord has existed and how long he will continue to exist by himself. Right? 2,000 years is near on the Lord's timetable. No problem with that whatsoever. Um, now, what we do have a problem with is people trying to predict the end of the end of time and, and the Lord's return. How did the Lord admonish people? He said, only the Father knows when that's going to occur. 
So if you hear someone predicting that the end of time is going to be, we thought it was going to be 2000. Those of us who are old enough to remember 2000. <laughs> I spent my New Year's, of the first part of my New Year's Day of 2000, sitting and staring at a computer because I was working for American Airlines and we thought the world was going to end, right? Um, because of Y2K. And some of you youngins don't even remember Y2K, but that's the thing that happened. And then there was this whole thing that they found these this Mayan calendar and it only went until 2012. So obviously the world was going to end in 2012. So here we go again. Roller coaster 2012. We're all going to die. Not true. A lot of different cults have said that that the end of time and Jesus return was imminent and it was going to happen at a certain even date. And guess what? It's kind of like an IT project plan. It keeps on getting moved back, right? What would you say to those that would say that they're a prophet and, and predict a certain date for the Lord's return and it doesn't come true? I think scriptural standards would say they're a false prophet. So don't listen to a soul that outlines a date and time for the Lord's return. Just don't listen to it. Um, however, please do listen to the words of scripture that James says, when the day of the Lord is near, it is near. We live as, as if our Lord will come in the door in the next few minutes. That's the expectant wait that we have for Christ. What else does that, what else does that call us to do? It creates that vigilance. If you were doing something wrong and your parents weren't at home, but you knew that dad and mom were going to roll up in the driveway anytime soon. What would you do? Would you straighten up? Would you make sure to clean up the floor real quick or do the dishes like mom told you to? Same thing with our heavenly father. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to live as though dad is coming back. Matthew 24, 42 through 44 says, therefore be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready as well. For the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Those of us that want to walk closely with the Lord have to walk in a way that, number one, he is always present. The Lord is always present. And number two, that he is near and he is ready to come back. I might sound like a one of the apocalyptic fire and brimstone type of of preaching. But some of what that type of preaching gave to us is absolute truth. The Lord could come back at any time. Um, and we have to be vigilant. James 5, 9. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. The actual judge is standing at the door, looking in on what we're doing. James reminds them, brothers and sisters. So James isn't someone who doesn't forget his place in the family of God. He calls them brothers and sisters. Think about if James were worldly, he could say, I'm the half-brother of Christ. What do you guys have on me? Slimy rocks. 
right? But James says, brothers and sisters, he treats them as family and and admonishes them and exhorts them and encourages them, but says, do not complain against each other. If you've got a complaint against a sister or a brother, your job is to go and speak to them privately. Matthew gives us a Matthew gives us a model for confrontation. It's first to go to that person individually. If he doesn't listen, to take another person with you. If that, if he doesn't listen, then take him to the body. And if he doesn't listen, then to turn him away from the body of Christ. We have a biblical pattern for confronting sin. And it's not complaints and backbiting each other, right? Remember what James said in chapter four that we've already covered. Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you judging your neighbor? We we talked about in James 4 why, what was the appropriate context of judgment. And we pointed out three different things. God is the only righteous judge. He's the only one that has has the right of judgment. Number two, we often judge on a wrong basis. We want to judge on our preferences and opinions and personal, uh, personal discretional things versus God's law. So that's another warning about judgment. Third, we err towards hypocrisy. We like to judge other people for the things that we do ourselves. So those are the warnings against judgment. Scripture doesn't say to never judge, but books like James say, if you're going to judge, warning, please don't step into the land of hypocrisy or judging people on a wrong basis, or thinking that you alone sit as the judge of other people. Instead, when we look at God's law, that is the plumb line, not our personal preferences and opinions. What do you think about James saying, behold, the judge is standing right at the door? If the Lord was standing on the porch right now, what would you do differently if he was if the door was cracked it like like we hear so many times but the that door squeaks right what if that door squeaked right now and the lord was standing right there how would we be different how would your mind be different how would your actions be different if you lived with that judge standing right at the door well he is. <laughs> God is omnipresent and is attending us always. I got to reading D.L. Moody quotes yesterday and, and shared with you guys a link. And honestly, some of the quotes that D.L. Moody had just like brought tears to my eyes, frankly. And one of the things that D.L. Moody said was character is what you are in the dark. Meditate on that one for a moment. When nobody is looking at what you look like, when nobody cares about how much money you have, your character is who you are in the dark. The Lord (laughs) is there in the dark as well, right? The Lord sees your mind, sees your actions, 
and is attending you always. That's what omnipresence means. That's what omniscience means. He's always there. So there's not a place that we can go to hide from the Lord and hide our intentions and hide our thoughts. Think about Adam and Eve. What was their reaction to being called out by God when he said, where are you, Adam? As if he needed to ask. They went and hid, right? When they realized their sin, Adam and Eve went and hid as if they could hide from the Lord. We do the same thing. We want to hide our sin, especially from other people. We're most concerned a lot of times what other people would think about our particular sin. And we do need to be concerned about our witness to other people. But our primary concern is that we're sinning against God. We're accountable to him first. Um, And he is right at the door. So this is an exhortation, but it's also a tremendous comfort to us. We serve a God who is so near. We can pray at any point. And the Lord hears us. That's something that we have as being a Christian that a lot of other religions do not believe in. They don't believe in this access to the actual Lord Jesus just by praying. Anywhere you are, it does not matter where you are. You, the Lord is very near. You can reach out to him with a prayer. And so it's a tremendous comfort to think about the judge being at the door. And it's also a tremendous exhortation to obey his word. 10 through 11 says, as an example, brothers and sisters of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So who are we to look at as an example of suffering and patience? In our Sunday school, we've been covering the books of First and Second Kings, and we've seen Elijah and Elisha. How were they treated? Are they always... Uh, are, are they always lifted up on people's shoulders and paraded through the <laughs> the street? No, a lot of times they're opposed right to their face. So when James says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as examples for suffering and patience, who are those prophets among others, so we mentioned Elisha, Elijah and Elisha, lots of others, but just a simple way of thinking about some of the prophets is the way the Bible is organized, right? There's a section of the major prophets, Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. And then there's a section of 12 minor prophets, and maybe some of you are singing a song about these Bible, <laughs> these Bible books now. <laughs> Lisa's nodding her head. Um, we had we've had all kinds of those as well. But think about when he talks about prophets. There are lots of others other than just the ones named by these books. But that's who he's talking about. You think about some of these prophets. Elijah was hated and hunted by Jezebel like he was some animal. Elisha was seen as nothing but a servant. You remember how he was treated initially when Elisha came on the scene? Not as the man of God, but as somebody who just washed uh, Elijah's hands and feet. A foot washer. Daniel Bless him, as we would say, bless it. (laughs) Daniel was put in the lion's den, taken off to Babylon, told he couldn't pray, had to 
challenged even with the food that he was eating, right? Because it wasn't what the Babylonians were eating. Jeremiah was even opposed right to his face in this in this circumstance that I'm going to read to you here. In Jeremiah 44, 11 through 14, Jeremiah comes out and says what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. He says, therefore, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, behold, I am going to set my face against you for a disaster, even to eliminate all Judah. And I will take away the remnant of Judah who have set their minds on entering the land of Egypt to reside there. And they will all meet their end in the land of Egypt. They will fall by the sword or meet their end by famine. From the small to the great, they will die by the sword and famine. And they will become a curse, an object of horror, an imprecation, a disgrace. And I will punish those who live in the land of Egypt, just as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine and with plague. So there will be no survivor or refugee for the remnant of Judah who have entered the land of Egypt to reside there and then to return to the land of Judah to which they are longing to return to live for none will return except a few refugees. Jeremiah declares the word of the Lord and even names that it's the word of the Lord and says this is from the Lord of the armies. And then what do the people do? How do they respond to Jeremiah? 15 through 17. Then all the men who were aware that their wives were burning sacrifices to other gods, along with all the women who were standing by as a large assembly, including all the people who were living in Pathros in the land of Egypt, responded to Jeremiah saying, as for the message that you have spoken in the name of the Lord, we are not going to listen to you. Can you imagine this prophet that you know is God's man and still saying, we're not going to listen to you right to his face. And then they continued to sin, but we will certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths by burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings and our leaders did in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no misfortune. We're going to continue in our sin because it was something that seemed practical and gave us what we needed. You might be from God and you might be saying his declaration, well, we're just going to continue with what we want to do. And basically, you can shove off somewhere else, right? Go jump in a lake, Jeremiah. And what happened? What happened to the people of Judah? They were carried off and exiled because they didn't listen to Jeremiah. So when James, coming back to what James said, we're to take an example of our suffering and the endurance into the endurance of the prophets who were practically universally opposed. My, my little hurt feelings off of a Facebook post do not <laughs> compare to the sufferings of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all of these men of God who declared his word. So when we think about our endurance and our suffering, think about those things. And I, and we were very blessed to have Richard talk about Job last week. And I don't know if it was your intention, but it certainly fits as a prequel into what we're talking about today, because if you think about it, for Job, in verse 11, you have heard the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. 
What happened in the end? Richard told us last week. What happened in the end with Job and how did the Lord deal with him? If you remember, Satan wanted to come against Job and do everything to him and accuse the Lord of saying, you have a hedge of you have a hedge around him. I can't do anything to him. And the Lord gave Satan permission to afflict Job and to take everything from him except for his life. And in the end, Job was restored to twofold after all that he had lost because of his patient endurance. Lastly, when we look here at James 5.12, our last verse for this morning, but above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you do not fall under judgment. At first glance, maybe this verse seems a little bit out of place as to what the rest of the things that we're reading about is, but it's it's not. James exhorts us to live a holy life towards God. And one of the major themes running through the whole book has been about the tongue, right? And its place. And when we talk about complaining, what what is that? That's the use of your tongue, right? When we talk about encouraging others, the right use of your tongue. So this does fit into this group of verses James is emphasizing this at the end of his message when he says, but above all, but above all, but above all, be people of character. He refers to them as my brothers and sisters several times throughout this chapter, just reemphasizing his relationship with them. And James is also echoing when he talks about your yes being yes and your no being no. He's echoing Christ in Matthew 5. So Christ himself says, but I say to you, take no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. But make sure your statement is yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil origin. So James, like he has done so many times, is really just repeating what Christ has already taught. James is not saying necessarily don't go into a courtroom and and swear and take an oath. That's not what he's pointing out. I believe that James is trying to emphasize the fact that those kinds of oaths are unnecessary to people who walk with the Lord. If if I walk with Christ and I say I'm going to do something, then I need to do it. If you, if you make a commitment and you say yes to something, you carry it through. Also, let your no be no, right? Especially in regards to our children. Oftentimes, when we say no, we falter on our decisions and aren't firm with our children. We aren't firm about our nose sometimes when we let things be convinced. We let ourselves be convinced about things that we shouldn't be a part of. But at any rate, if <clears throat> we don't need to pinky promise <laughs> somebody, you know, or be like Gollum, I swears it, right? We don't need to, we don't need to do that. If our words are true and We're walking with God. We don't lie. Period. So let our yes be yes and our no be no. Be counted on. And I hate to say this, but in today's state of affairs, 
All you have to do to be exceptional is to keep your word. I, I deal with all kinds of different people from all kinds of different companies. It's exhausting. It's exhausting how much people try to get around different terms that they've agreed on in, in different contracts and how they try to skirt the law and how they try to give a commit date and then don't live up to it. It's exhausting. So all you have to do to be automatically exceptional as an employee, as a person, is to be trusted to say, to do what you say you're going to do. So let's wrap this up this morning. Um, so throughout throughout the course of this morning's verses, we've hit on several key points, but all of them come back to James' exhortation towards our sanctification. So again, sanctification comes during the life of patient. He exhorts us to be patient, expectant because the Lord is near, waiting. He exhorts us to wait for Christ's return. The Lord will strengthen our hearts to carry out his will. We keep peace in the body of Christ by not complaining and judging one another wrongly. We should not expect the world to accept our message. In fact, it will be opposed. And lastly, our character is reflected by our words. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the exhortation. We thank you for the correction. Lord, of walking more closely with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to live as though your return is imminent. Lord, in light of that fact, help us to know, Father, who you want us to be and what you want us to do. Father, I pray that we could be counted on. I pray that we would make our yes, yes, and our no, no. Lord, and we thank you for your patience with us as we exhibit patience towards others. Father, I pray that we would keep your word in hearing it this morning, Lord. Let it go into our conscience that we may not sin against you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.